Welcome to What's Your Beef? What's Your Beef is proudly supported by Suncorp Bank, helping local producers through the ups and downs since 1902. Each week we will introduce you to people working in the beef industry and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic event that is Beef Australia. Hello, I'm Jane Cudahy and this is What's Your Beef, proudly supported by the Suncorp Bank. Marina Fortes is passionate about beef genetics. She has a degree in veterinary medicine and a Master of Science in Animal Reproduction from the University of Sao Paulo, Brazil. She then completed her PhD in genetics at the University of Queensland and has held prestigious scholarships from UQ and the Beef CRC. Currently, she's a researcher with the Livestock Genomics Group at the University of Queensland, and there's not a lot about genetic markers in beef cattle that Marina couldn't tell you about. Thanks so much for joining us, Marina. Well, thank you for having me. That was a lovely introduction. Thank you so much. Oh, look, I know that's fine. Well, it's all you. Goodness me. And I, I feel like I'm telling you about yourself already, and I really need... I really need to hear it from you. But I guess, you know, I always like to, to start at the beginning and I'm, I'm looking forward to all the technical um, conversation as well. But, you know, you grew up in Brazil. So what, what was that like? Well, that was the opposite of, you know, remote rural Australia. So it's, it's quite a contrast. Um, I grew up in Sao Paulo, which is a very big urban area. It has 21 million people in it. Mm. Um, very busy traffic jam and you know it was a good place to grow up but I always loved animals and I always said I was going to be a vet and when I started vet school and they you know you have opportunity to do placements in different places and when I start going to the farms I loved it I was just yes this is so much better (laughs) you know (laughs) away from all that traffic and doing something fun and doing something that is also physical and mental, you know, that has that combination. So it was the big animals too that you were attracted to. You weren't into the bunnies and the cats. Like it was very much a... Yeah, well, in the very beginning, I thought I was going to be uh, working with horses because they were my favourite animal. Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter was that the, the horse industry is not as nice as the cattle industry. What do you mean not as nice? Like the personalities? The people. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We'll take that, exactly. no problem. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about Brazil, just yeah. to be clear, you know, not, nothing to do with, I don't know the Australian horse thing, so I cannot talk about it. It was lovely that, you know, the farmers really appreciate their cows and look after them and, you know, do everything right by them. So I really like that. Um, and I also like the idea that you're doing something that it's not just the business, it's about feeding people, you know, and it's, it, 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 that's so important. There's a purpose to it. There's a purpose to it. There's a bigger picture. Mm. Um, and that, that's what stayed with me. It's my passion even today, you know, that in all my research, what I'm actually trying to do is to find ways to feed a growing population of humans without destroying the environment. Mm. To me, and, that is the challenge that we have to address somehow. Yeah, <laughs> and I've, I've got that, I've got that. I want to ask you a bit more about that in a second mm-hmm. because I guess what, what really honed your interest in genetics um, as opposed to a, a practising vet? Oh, right. 
Well, can I tell you more about the story? Because I think that yeah. helps to explain. Yeah, you so, go. Yeah. So when I graduated as a fresh, you know, vet, mm. I actually got my dream job and I went to work in this station, which was quite um, technological. So it was a brief breeding center. So we had lots of bulls and we were producing semen for AI operations. And there was also a IVF embryo lab um, in the same farm. Um, and that was everything to do with the genetics, right? But what we were doing, we were packaging the genetics in a way that people can buy and sell it, which is, you know, semen straws or frozen embryos. And that got me interested in the genetics and why is that so important? Why are we choosing this particular bull to then inseminate thousands and thousands of cows with him, right? Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, the the job itself on the farm after two years it started to become a little bit boring for me mm -hmm. i'm a bit of those people who are um how can i say i like adventures <laughs> <laughs> you need some action <laughs> I, I need some action yeah and you know after you know being in the semen lab day in and day out what you're doing is that you're looking at the quality of that sample and you're approving it and pass it along but it's becomes a routine mm -hmm. And it's very important that it is routine for quality assurance. So the product is always the same. Yeah. Um, but then I start thinking, okay, what else can I do? And that was when I decided to do a master in reproduction because, you know, since I was working with embryos and semen, reproduction makes sense. I find it interesting. Yep. Um, and then I did a master. But when I was almost finishing my master, um, my then boyfriend, came to me with two big news. He said, uh, I got a scholarship from the University of Queensland. I want to go there for my PhD. Can you come with me? Oh, wow. Well, there's an adventure <laughs> and it landed right in your life there, Marina. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was like uh, that was a marriage proposal with all those conditions applied. Oh, my goodness. Was it really? <laughs> How romantic. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was very exciting, I have to say. Yeah. Um, I had been to Australia before that just as a as a visit and I knew I liked the country and I knew it was a big cattle country as well so yeah. I thought yeah sure why not let's let's do it let's go he came first and then I had to finish my master in a hurry so that I could come here mm. already with a master degree right mm. um, and then when I arrived so it's a bit serendipitous it's not a decision that I wanted to do genetics it was more like okay, I arrive in this new country. These are the skills I already have. How am I going to find a job? What, you know, trying to figure out what you want to do and how, what can you do? I couldn't be a practicing vet because my vet degree wasn't validated here. Yep. So, and I already had a master and I quite liked studying and, and doing the research. So I thought, ah, oh, maybe I'll look for a PhD. And I started looking Initially, I was looking uh, for more reproductive things, yep. um, but then there was this opportunity to do a PhD through the beef CRC uh, with CSIRO and enrolled through UQ, but it meant you have to learn genetics and not only genetics, but genomics because we are already having you know, DNA information. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, that sounds very different, very challenging for me. Very technical. Um, yeah, very technical. Um, let's try, let's have a go. And I loved it. I really loved it. It was during my PhD that it kind of defined my career for me. Like, this is what I want to be doing for the rest of my career. Mm -hmm. 
I founded, you know. Um, so yeah, so that's how I became a geneticist. It was a bit of a story. Yeah, it is a bit of a, but it's a fast. I just on a quick yeah. tangent before we go back back into genomics and genetics. What was the culture shock like? When you, what do you remember about first arriving in Australia oh. and then having to, you know, realise wow. this was now home <laughs> and um, you couldn't just jump on a plane whenever you wanted and go home? Yeah, true, true. No, we couldn't. Um, so one of the culture shock wasn't really to do with culture, was to do with having very little money to mm. begin with. Because so in Brazil we had a – it wasn't – we were not rich at all, but we had a semi-comfortable situation, right? And mm. I had a job, we paid the bills, and it was kind of easy. When I arrived here, we only had his PhD scholarship, right? Yeah. So, And that's not meant for two people to live from. It's no. meant for one person, you know? Mm. So mm. I remember that very beginning being hard, that we couldn't even go for a coffee outside of the house because we couldn't afford it. Um, and then to... To sort that problem, I went about finding whatever job I could find, and I, I became a research assistant in the University of Queensland. Um, but it, this is a funny one. So there was a, a project about um, cats and dogs and how to get rid of fleas. Oh. So someone had to manage the flea colony and count fleas, and, oh, and no. you know, and that was you. <laughs> And that was me. After yeah, all this study year. and degrees and, oh, my goodness, so many years of study and you're I'm counting cleaning fleas. cleaning the cage of cats and counting fleas. Oh, that's but hey, a blow. But, hey, still counts as a research assistant job, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, you weren't – oh, I won't name some jobs that I, I was speaking to quite a, a famous rugby player yesterday who, you know, his first job was in the um, news agency at Roma Street. Or Central right. Station, I think it was. So yeah, you know, everyone's got to start somewhere again. I feel like exactly. <laughs> again, it was like starting again. It was. Oh wow! Uh, but I guess that I guess when you when you did complete your study and you did get the job you really wanted to, it, it meant so much more. Exactly. Yes, yeah. it does. And it was through some of those connections, you know, just by being in the university and meeting people through that work, that I finally found my PhD supervisor. Mm. So yeah, I think. You need to take whatever opportunity is in front of you, even if it doesn't look like the dream job yet, <laughs> right? Yeah. But, yeah, it was it Baby was steps. Climb the ladder. Baby steps yeah. and climb the ladder. Yeah, be persistent. <laughs> but let's start, let's start talking about what, what you – that really excites you, I guess. Genomics versus genetics. What is the right. – what's the actual difference between the two? Oh, that's very interesting. So, mm, it's Two different ways we can talk about that, but basically uh, traditional genetics, we can do it with a pedigree record and we don't need the DNA, mm -hmm. right? So that's the traditional field that has been around forever. And when we record pedigrees, when we do breeding experiments and, you know, this is the father, this is the mother, this is, you know, and we track the heritability through pedigrees, mm -hmm. that's genetics, Genomics is a term that came about when we finally have the tools to interrogate the entire genome, which means the entire uh, DNA molecule present in the cells of a person or an animal or a plant. So that's, that's the simplistic way to say it, right? With, yeah. To do genomics, you actually need a biological sample to get a DNA um, analysis done. And a lot of the trials that have been going on in this field have been using its tail hair samples, isn't it? 
Yes, yes. So the first, I think, method for using DNA as a routine analysis was to just pull some tail hairs of the cows you want to analyze and put them in a little envelope with the name of the cow and send it to the genotyping lab. Mm. They then cut that little bulb of the hair, which mm -hmm. contains the DNA, um, and do an extraction process, purify the DNA, and then run that through a SNP chip, which is a fancy way of saying we're going to lose it. We're going to look at thousands of markers across the entire DNA. And that's going to give us a lot of information. Now, these trials have been happening for a number of years, certainly in northern mm -hmm. Australia. Um, has that been the focus to start with, that northern herd? Yes, it has. Um, so th th it's true. So since my PhD, which started in 2009, that was more or less when the first SNP chip for cattle was available. So we do have a few years that this has been going on. Yeah. And the good news is that the technology is always improving. The price is coming down and we are changing the ways we do things to do it more automated, better, you know. Mm. So nowadays we actually prefer not to get the hair because the hair can be messy, can get dirty and, and you know, can yep. get lost as well. So what we're doing now is we um, send a tissue collection unit up to the farmer. Mm -hmm. And that is pretty much the same as putting in an ear tag. Right. You know you, when you're going to put in an ear tag in a cow? Yep. There's always a little bit of tissue that falls off. Yep. That little bit of tissue, instead of wasting, you can just put it in a tube that comes together with this tissue collection unit, mm. and it has a little buffer liquid in it that is going to preserve the DNA. Mm. And that's what you send to the lab now. So are people actually utilising this technology outside that? They've seen what you're doing and seen the results and, and are like, yes. yeah, well, that yes, obviously yes. translates, yep. So that there is in, in some fields, so in dairy cattle, or if you breed um, Angus cattle, mm -hmm. genomic EBVs, genomic estimated breeding values are very much available and it's no longer research, it's a commercial reality, you can get it done, great. Mm -hmm. For the Northern beef industry, where we have a lot of Brahman and tropical composite cattle, we cannot use the same predictions that were developed for Angus or for the dairy industry. So we have to create our own and that's where there is still a lot of active research ongoing. Mm -hmm. There has been a few projects over the years, you're right. But the project I'm doing right now, which is called the Female Fertility Fenobank, um, one of the joys of it is that we're bringing together under the same platform all those different projects from the past and collating them in one big data warehouse so that we can get our power um, you know, the, the power of having a lot of data to mm -hmm. do very good analysis and, and get out of it good information. Mm -hmm. So all the trials in the past, they used 1,000 or 2,000 animals, uh, maybe 3,000 animals. Now we are scaling it up by merging what happened in the past and doing a few more trials. Mm -hmm. um, in this bank, currently, we have 9,200 animals. Wow. But our goal is to merge with even more um, research that is going on and one day I have something like 40,000 animals in the bank um, and when we do that then it becomes much more automated to do genomic selection basically we need this big reference population to get accurate predictions yeah does so that make sense yeah no well the more data you have the better the better chance you have of, of the better chance yes and 
what was missing that we're trying to create or we have created is this data platform, this warehouse where, where all the data can be collated, mm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's what that's where the Angus and the dairy, you said that they, they've been collecting this kind of data for a long time. So yes. ultimately what are we aiming for um, in terms of, uh, it, of what data you are collecting? Is it to be able to sort of give this as a tool to producers to be able to absolutely um, streamline their, their genetic selection? That is the first outcome. It's to do better, more precise genetic selection and genetic improvement. But we are actually exploring a lot of other views for having this data warehouse. It's funded by Meat and Livestock Australia, MLA, and it was funded to collect female fertility data to do genetics for that because it's perceived as a big um, thing that the industry in the north still has to improve is the fertility of their base herd, right? Yep. But once we've created a platform, we realize we can do a lot more. Uh, we can collect any kind of data. It can be growth type of data. It can be carcass qualities. It can be tick resistance. It doesn't really matter. The platform we created is versatile enough that we'll take any kind of data. And what I think it's pretty cool is that the vision in the future is that each farmer who wants to collaborate data will get a login. And then they can put their data, they can upload it, and they can tell the researchers, here's my stuff, this is what I would like to be doing, and find partners that would do that. So I, I, in my experience in the past, there's always been a bit of a disconnect between the researchers in the university and what's happening with the producers at the farm level, right? Is that because of the practicalities of it or people's they just don't understand what the implications or the potential for this kind of research is? Yeah, I think there is a bit of a lack of communication. Okay. It is a big country. We don't travel as often as we should. And maybe the producers sometimes don't realise that yeah, the potential of this kind of technology. Don't realise the potential of something. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's a lot fault of the researchers. We are very good at communicating science to other scientists, but not often to the <laughs> you industry. You speak a different language. Is that what you're saying, Marina? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, well, you asked me before about cultural shocks. I do yeah. have a little story about language and that one. Okay. I already knew English. I've been learning English since I was 12. Yeah. But I was taught American English, right? Ah, yep. And when I got here... I just all of a sudden couldn't understand the people um, and they couldn't understand me. And I'm like, I thought I speak English. What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> it was just the different accents and the different words that people use. Yeah. And our slang, to... our slang is pretty terrible. Um, yeah, yeah. The slang. Yeah. Come for a small coat. I'm yeah. like, what? I don't <laughs> smoke. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's a, that's a good one actually. Yeah. No. Um, uh, well, and anyway, we overcome all of that. Um, what I was trying to say is that with this data platform, it can be a little bit like a club or even a social media kind of tool. Because if everybody is joined in that data platform, then the conversation will happen. Yep. You know? Yep. And it will be a conversation for people who are interested in the same things, interested in improving their efficiencies, improving their business. So uh, we got a suggestion from MLA that Yes, we started with genetics, but this could very well be a tool for benchmarking yeah. or a tool for um, encouraging adoption because you can see what other people are doing by looking at the platform and 
you know, talking to people and then decide what's best for your business as well? Well, I think there's so many um, conversations around sustainability, efficiency, Mm. doing less with more, reducing herds, but but maintaining outputs by efficiencies. And this surely would tie into that argument where you're selecting purely based on fertility. and, um, And as you said, you can bring in other traits like carcasses and that sort of thing as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the, the fertility does tie in with sustainability a lot for me because basically you can get more winners from the same number of cows. Your environmental impact is lower than if you had to buy more cows, mm-hmm. right? So that's very much the truth. And I have another project where I want to be measuring methane emissions from pregnant cows, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do, do pregnant ladies fart more? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, right? I, like, <laughs> I like to get busy. Uh, <laughs> but back, back to the data platform, the, the cool thing that it's difficult to say in words, I wish I could show you, but everybody that puts in a data set, um, they can select who else they want to be seeing their data or not. And so if they want to search, send their data to a particular researcher and nobody else. The two can do that. And the other thing is once you submit your data set, the first 10 records, so say you've submitted data on a thousand cows. The first 10 cows are going to be visible for everybody because that's my window shopping opportunity. So we call that the data set viewer. So when I log in, I can start looking at other people and what are they collecting just by having those first 10 records. And that can spark conversations and can say, oh, look, I've seen this farmer is doing something similar to what I want to do. And then you can get in contact and start talking. Right. So you see how it can be a tool for development adoption as well, not just the research. Absolutely. That's what excites me, it's to bring all those three things together, the research, the development and the adoption. So how are we going to do that, Marina? Because that it sounds idyllic, to be honest. It sounds terrific, but the realities of that is sounds also very long-term. So how, how would we yeah. speed that process up? I, I do think on long-term goals because I think we have complex problems that cannot be solved overnight. There isn't a silver bullet. Um, but information is very powerful. So the minute you start putting together a lot of information, you will get not one solution, but several options for people to try in their farms. Um, and the thing is for, for this to occur, so it's really nice to have a a platform, right? Mm. But we need a platform manager. We need a spokesperson who is going to be in charge of managing that data, connecting the dots, talking to people, keeping it alive, right? So that to me is my next ambition, is to figure out a way of funding someone who's going to be the Fenerbank database coordinator. Wow. Yeah, we do have a person that is doing this job right now, um, funded through the project, but the project has a, a timeline, right? And it will finish. So we have to think about what comes next. And if industry wants this kind of research platform to be available, user-friendly, something that the industry can reach to the researchers anytime they want, we need that kind of manager to, to be there and be the contact person. Yeah, and that, that makes sense. And I guess, yeah. you know, um, the other thing that people come up against when we start talking about the this is cost. So... 
you know, yeah. in the trial stages, obviously it's a, it's a costly process. What has oh. to happen to bring that cost down and make it more accessible to more, you know, grass... And more people, yeah, 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 more small, like smaller producers um, and people that probably might not consider yeah. it an option just because of scale. Yes, yeah, sure. So there's a few different things. Traditionally, uh, the genetic evaluations, they always ask people to have day of birth records um, and they always ask if people can mother up and that's perfect for some stud herds that do that already but the more commercial operations they don't so we are exploring if we can do genetics without those precise informations just by asking can you tell me the crop you know the branding year of the animal instead of a day of birth uh, and yep. yeah it's a big change mm -hmm. and people are going to be skeptical about it. I'm expecting that. <laughs> but the way to beat it is with big numbers, like very big numbers, you know. So yeah. if, if we have really big numbers and our preliminary data already shows that we can calculate a good heritability and a good prediction accuracy for a trade as simple as preg one, which means the ability of the cow to get pregnant out of the first mating season Yes or no. Mm -hmm. So all I'm asking the farmers that are joining Fenabank is to tell me the year the cow was born, was she pregnant when you first preg tested her? Okay. That's yep. more or less it. Uh -huh. And if you can do it a second time, brilliant. Then I can even do a rebreeding score. Yep. You see, so if we observe, we're trying to go for the early fertility, early in life traits because they're more heritable and that's, tends to be the struggle for everybody it's to get that heifer pregnant and then her second pregnancy so we are focused on those first years and we're asking for very simple data that people can collect they probably already collect because it's just to do with the pregnancy test right the project is facilitating the, the genotype side of things so while we still have budget we can pay for the genotype provided that the farmer will give us good farm records but that will become the sticking point when the project ends and the farmers have to start paying for genotypes. Now, there's a few different ways of making that step a bit cheaper. So I'm, I'm going with the deluxe model because I'm a researcher, right? And I'm going with uh, 50,000 markers and part of the bundle, we get parented verification, pole horn information, color information. There is one else, some diseases that are easy to track. If you want to go cheaper, you can go with a much smaller SNP chip that's still going to do the job. Probably won't get all this extra information, but it's going to be cheaper. And a way to do it cheaper still, it's to start doing a technique that they call DNA pooling. And there's a few projects um, with my partners in CSRO that they developed that. So instead of paying for an individual phenotype or genotype, you put together 10 or 20 cows in the same tube and you pay once. Oh, right. And that still gives you, say, like decent results. It still gives us a decent result, yeah. Okay. You can do a lot of things with that, as long as they were all the same phenotype. Mm -hmm. So say with my preg one trade, right, we have 300 cows that are pregnant and 300 that are not pregnant after the first mating season. They were all raised together, same conditions, same cohort. You can get those 300 um, test tubes for the pregnant ones and divide them in groups of 20 or 25. 
and get that tested as a genotype. And you do the same for the non-pregnant. And we have now software bioinformatics ways of figuring out the allele frequency of the SNPs in a group of cows when you do this pooled genotype. Mm -hmm. I know I'm getting too technical, but the short story is um, we still can get very good DNA information from the pooling exercise. Yeah, well, well, I think, and that's, I guess, the way that you can, you know, take it to a wider production base too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, it, that takes a lot of um, the fiddly bits out of it for a lot of producers and probably makes it um, more attractive. So, you know, I guess that's one way of compromising, isn't it, between, as you say, breaking down those barriers between the, the farmers and the scientists and... So yep. well done. I think that's great. And, and in that communication thing is also super important for that because sometimes, you know, we, we're guessing what is the sticky point, but we don't actually know. So, mm. But just by going through the process with the farmer, they can say, no, what is actually difficult for me is this. How can I, how can you help me change this part of the process? Yeah, exactly. Well, that, yeah, communication. I think that's an amazing job that you've done. What are the hurdles to that wider adoption at the moment? Like we went through sort of cost and, and people sort of saying that, you know, it's probably a bit fiddly to be doing. Are there any other roadblocks to, to producers taking this sort of technology up? Not that I can think of. I mean, oh, that's there, good. there is the cost, sure, but no, there isn't much. Um, yeah, really, if you muster your herd um, to prank test, that's when we want the DNA sample collected mm -hmm. and, and off we go. Yeah. So what you've been, you've been in Australia for over 10 years now and working in mm -hmm. this very specific field. What improvements have you seen in that time? It's quite different. When I started, we were only discovering, you know, if we could use this SNP chip platform. Now there is no question. We know it can be used. Um, when we first started, the SNP chip was meant for European cattle. Now with the chip I'm using is a trop beef chip, so I know it's going to work for the Australian breeds. So there's a lot of improvements there, and the cost as well. The cost when I first started used to be like $250 for one animal to be genotyped. Oh, um, now we are paying something like 50. Okay. So it, it's very different. And if you do pooling, that's divided by 20 again. Yep. Okay. You know, so there is, uh, and pooling was something that people didn't believe it was going to work in the beginning, but the research has shown that, yes, you can do it. Yeah. And that's exciting. I guess what... It is. What, what's the potential of this? Where could it go from here? Like you've just gone through so the... Do you want the dream vision for the future? Yeah, I do. Like uh, the big... Uh, do it. What's on your dream board in front of your desk, Marina? <laughs> <laughs> so there is now a little machine called a Minion. I don't know if you have seen this before. It's the size of a, a pen, really, Yeah. Uh, but a bit fatter. So like um, if you have a highlighter, yeah. you know, that kind of pen? Yeah, okay. That's the size of it, so you can hold it in your hand. And this Minion machine does full genome sequencing. What? Yes. So not only the SNP chip markers, you know, with the 50,000 markers, but actually all the 3 billion ACTG letters Stop that it. form the genome. Yep. Um, you can take it to the farm, you can process the sample, you can put it there, and you can see the sequencing happening in your laptop. Oh, my goodness. Imagine that. 
So yeah. it just so is, is it one machine per animal, or would you be like if you were beside a crush, could you go and do you know a crush? Uh, it, it only has one flow cell, so yeah. it, it's only one sample that goes in at a time. Yeah. But I think you can change that flow cell. It's not like you're going to throw away the machine now. The machine is still expensive. Yeah, that's what I was <laughs> so trying to work out. You are going to reuse it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Amazing. The, the struggle. So we do have the machine. We do have the computer software and everything. We still don't have an automated way of transforming that genomic information into an EBV. So once you collect all that data, it still has to come to a researcher to process it, think about it, analyze it, and then give back useful information to the farmer. Yeah, but that's still that's but, doable. Like if you can streamline the actual cattle um, exactly. yeah, handling side of things. I was talking to things. some people yesterday yeah. who are big data analysis people, mm. and they think that, yes, in the future we can have algorithms that are going to do what today. So I'm, I might be doing myself out of a job. Oh, no, you'll be right. You've got some years left. <laughs> I'll be teaching. That's all right. Um, so, but but it, that would be exciting, you know, if you are on crush side and you can put the sample in, and the computer will become clever enough to, in a few minutes, tell you this heifer is a keeper yeah. and that, that one is not at the same time that you're trying to make your stocking decisions. That would be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. There's huge potential there. Okay, well, look, Marina, we're running out of time and I don't want to take up too much of your morning. Um, but I do, sadly, I don't think you're joining us at Beef 21. But um, I just... Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We'll get you there eventually. But, you know, a lot of your work is on uh, display there and and can be talked about. So if people do want to find out more about this research and this technology and they're going to Rocky in in May, where do they need to go? Uh, I think they could go to the Meat and Livestock Australia uh, people. They will be there and they know. Um, I think CSIRO also has a booth there and and it's uh, one of our collaborators. Uh, sometimes UQ has a post there, but look, if you really want to know all the details, then the best way is to email me, m.fortes, that's F-O-R-T-E-S, at uq.edu.au, so University of Queensland. I think they're missing out having you there, actually, Mary, because I'm not going to lie, uh, that was the Aww. best conversation on genomics and genetics I think I've ever had, and it's all just clicked into place for me after me oh, sort of bluffing so my much. way through that for Aww. quite a number of years. So thanks, Marina. You fantastic, fantastic. Well, I will be up there uh, up more north than Rockhampton. Uh, there will be a, a couple of field days in the Northern Territory organised by the NTDITT, the department. Yep. Uh, and I will be there for that in April. Okay, so well, that's well, looking good. looking for that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> put that in the calendar, I guess. And uh, Now, there's one question. I've got one more question for you before we wrap up, and that's something that I've asked everyone on this podcast. Uh, what is your favourite cut of meat? I guess you, you look at the, the, through, the te- through the microscope more than anything else, so maybe... <laughs> no, no, I'm just going to go purely with my taste buds here, and, and people are going to think I'm a bit crazy. But in Brazil, um, we have a special cut called cupim, yeah. which is actually the hump of oh, the Bosindicus cattle. So you know how the Brahmin have that big hump? Yeah. Yeah, we take that and we barbecue that slow cook on charcoal. And that cut of meat has a lot of intramuscular fat. Yeah. And it just melts in your mouth. It gets really That's gelatinous and delicious. <laughs> it's delicious. And I cannot find it here. The butchers here are doing picanha, which is another cut that is very Brazilian, and I like it. Mm. But the cooking is better. 
and I haven't found it here. The last beef, <laughs> definitely beef hump was on the menu last beef and Rocky. So I think you need to start. I, um, re- I, I need think to you need to talk to, to your Rocky. boss. Yeah, That's you need right. to talk to your boss and get to Rocky. I'm sorry, Marina. There's nothing else. Yeah. okay well thank you so much for your time i really enjoyed talking to you and and we won't see you at beef but we'll talk to you soon me too thank you so much beef australia is proudly supported by our principal partners thanks to the australian government department of agriculture water and the environment the queensland government meat and livestock australia and the rockhampton regional council Thanks for listening. You can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you are enjoying listening to the show, we would appreciate a quick rating and review. Visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event.